So um, this practice is uh, often talked about as having two great wings that uh, support the awakening journey. The first being the great wing of wisdom and the second and complementary wing of compassion. And uh, these are uh, two dimensions of the practice that uh, we uh, cultivate. We can cultivate and bring into a balance to inform each other, to uh, um, encourage and develop uh, well-being and a healthy personal a collective life and a life that can respond uh, within the world that we live. So that our practice isn't about uh, divorcing ourselves from being in relationship to each other and, and, and our earth and other beings, but about being more clearly in relationship, wisely in relationship and compassionately in relationship. And each of these dimensions, compassion, wisdom, are uh, what uh, we can cultivate. We can consciously cultivate these. They're innate to the heart, to the mind, but uh, as we've been observing that heart-mind gets obstructed, gets clouded, and we get confused and 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 then that and constricted that heart constricts and we lose touch with this fundamental root of wise and compassionate awareness so we've been a lot focusing uh, through the days of our practice together on this retreat we've been focusing and emphasizing and leaning a lot more into the wisdom aspect which is fundamentally concerned with establishing what the Buddha called in the, the, his Eightfold Path, the first factor of that path, as uh, what's usually translated as right view or seeing clearly, seeing into reality according to uh, wisdom, wisely, uh, wisely reflecting and wisely seeing, uh, being able to see, for example, um, as we... This view is not so much, this right view is not so much about having a particular view or belief system. There are conventional views that the Buddha teaches that helps to bring us into a more uh, harmonious relationship with the Dharma. But in its more subtle understanding, this right view is about, uh, in a way, it's about relinquishing all views, ultimately, and it's about a direct seeing direct, noticing how it is, according to our experience, informed by this wise reflection and mindfulness, as we've been exploring. So when we come into touch with our experience here and now, we've been noticing and exploring that it has these characteristics. For example, the most obvious, obvious but not always necessarily obvious, or we don't live according to the obviousness of the reality of change, that everything is in a flux and flow and uh, has this insubstantiality or phenomena, whether it's a subtle thought or whether it's even uh, our great earth and this great cosmos is all uh, under the same law of change impermanence, that uh, everything has a lifespan, rises and then dissolves. And uh, 
this um, when we understand this and see this more directly, then it informs us. It has a it informs us uh, to uh, um, to be wise. To, to the, this wisdom is uh, is that, it, that when we're not wise, we assume things to be, say, for example, more stable, more permanent than they are, and then the mind grasps. We gra- try and grasp and hold. And that very grasping, that movement, even in a subtle way, generates in that movement, we're already generating that experience of stress and struggle. It's something that we do out of not understanding reality. And we do it continually, so we're continually generating this experience of, of dis-ease or dukkha. So when we see that through this wise reflection, this wise contemplation, this insight practice, then there's a release yeah, we can release out of that habit of, of just re- being in relationship to our experience from the place of grasping or trying to push things into a certain form and shape for, for our inner sense of security and stability, which we can do to a certain degree. Um, but then if you notice, the, we, can't, we can't maintain that forever. So this inner, this inner release, this is, a, this is one of the fruits of wisdom, is this what's called a viraga, which means dispassion or to release out of the grasping mind, bringing us, as Kirisara was uh, pointing to last night, in that moment uh, of release, there's a tasting of a deeper dimension of the heart and mind, this deeper dimension of reality, that which is not changing, that which is stable, that which is taste has the taste of peace, and this corresponding—it's called um, patinisaga, which means this this giving back. We give back to dharma, we give it back to nature. Uh, we we recognize it's a temporary arrangement; <laughs> it doesn't really belong to us. Uh, even this body, it's a sort of on loan and uh, at some point we have to give back so this wise if we can learn that in small ways then it reduces this unnecessary uh, suffering that we all um, experience and helps us to live more in accord with the dharma but it, but in this releasing and the giving back we're not releasing into a cold disassociated uh, space sometimes uh, people are uh, I think Buddhism is like this non-attachment that we just cut everything off. So just cut away and live in this sort of icebox. <laughs> but in fact, what is the reality of the experience as we release, as the mind releases out of its projections and its demands, it actually, in that process, we're entering more deeply into a more authentic and real relationship with how it is. In fact, it's a deeper relationship so in some ways this practice takes us into deeper relationship, not a cutting away, deeper into the reality of the relational field, that we're in relationship all the time with even as things are changing and moving and oscillating and arising and passing, that we're touching that experience of the changing world from a place of this direct knowing, direct awareness. And at its depth, when we when we are, when we no longer projecting from our idea of how we should be or another should be or how we want the world 
to be for us from our, from our deep insecurities, which distorts the relational field, when we, when we release out of that and come into a more authentic relationship, then it does have this flavor and this taste of profound love, profound intimacy. It's uh, to one of the great Zen masters, Dogen, said, awakening or enlightenment is the intimacy of all things. There isn't an apart from us out there. So it's, a, it's an arriving into the place where all things meet, all things are noticed and heard and awakened to. So it's, it's not that the fruit of this practice somehow to disassociate us from life, but to bring us more into clear relationship within life. And through that clearing away of the obsessions and the abstractions and the distortions that arise from our patterning, being able to have a clearer response. Ajahn Chah used to, in his um, um, simpler way, he used to um, have a, a really helpful analogy for this. He said when the heart you know, is unobstructed, the natural state of the heart, mind, when unobstructed, it resonates, it resonates with the world around us. He said, don't be frightened to, to empty, to, to be empty, to allow this emptying, this, this uh, letting go. Don't be frightened of that. It's not that you're going to arrive as, as some sort of like you know, a cold cucumber that can't respond somehow, or some frozen state. He said, it's a bit like being a bell, like this. He said, it's, you know, the, the reason this bell can resonate is that it's empty inside, it has space. But when it's touched, it can uh, respond, there's a response. Because you know, we're, we're like, not the mind not projecting, it's receptive and able to more authentically respond. So, to... What often happens for us, we, we uh, don't trust that emptying this, this fundamental awareness of the heart. It's not that it's empty, it's alive, it's intelligent, it's responsive. Uh, but, uh, you know, we think, oh no, I can't, I've got to hold on to stuff, you know, so I can be prepared. And so we start to put things in our emptiness. I need some tissues, and <laughs> I'm always worried about the time, and I might get chilly. <laughs> and so, like, you know, okay, I'm ready. Bring it on. I, I got, you know, and we're sort of uptight and it's like I got a... And then something comes along or someone and... <laughs> yeah, we can't, you know, it's not, there's not that lovely res- authentic response. We're like... <laughs> so this practice, very simple, it's just like, oh yeah, that's a bit heavy. Let's just put that where it belongs and put that back where, you know, we can pick things up but we don't have to keep holding, 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 fearful, you know, that if we let this go, then, we, then nothing else will arrive for us. In fact, the more we can open in a way, the more we can release, the more f- the fullness of a life can arrive for us, in, often in ways that are completely unexpected and unpremeditated. Miracles can arrive for us. Wonderful unfolding can arrive for us. In fact, uh, um, our Chinese uh, master that we learned from Master Wa, we say that actually emptiness is an empty because it's a wonderful existence. 
And he said, actually, wonderful existence doesn't exist because it is empty. <laughs> so it's, this, it's, uh, it's not one thing or the other. It's a dynamic. Yeah. It is both, yes, it's both changing, it's ephemeral. If we try and grasp like that river, the river Ganges, try and pick up the bubbles, they run through our hands. And yet, yes, there is a river. There is a flow. And this flow, Master Wa called wonderful existence, it emerges out of, and we're like, we become very jaded. Oh, another day, another me, another you. <laughs> you know, and, and just go along our patterns without realizing we're in the midst of a wonderful existence. It's a, appearing and, 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 you know, there's great beauty in that great freshness in that. And I think some people have talked in their um, check-ins how sometimes that, when that, through this practice of simplifying and arriving more deeply into this gathering and presence and, and, and the allowing the, the, uh, the, the, the heart and the mind to, to become clearer, more here, more focused, that there is a heightening of our sensory experience. And, and that's very, very joyful. You're just seeing the normal things that we usually just ignore in a new way, in a, in with a freshness, which allows for a different kind of experience and intimacy with what we're seeing. We're not seeing things as an object so much that we think about and critique. That's one way of seeing, and it has its function. I'm not saying that's not important, but that tends to be the primary modality. But seeing from the place or connecting from the place of the opening into this awareness that's not projecting and not holding and not assuming is an intimacy. What we're looking at, what we're with, becomes in a way part of us. It's not that separate. We feel with the trees and the grass and the earth and each other. We realize our sensitivity within the whole, which is it's not always easy to be with, and maybe that's why we sometimes just sort of shut it down a bit. <laughs> but this is what it is to be alive, to be sensitive, to be in relationship, to be in the relational field. So this, um, this is natural to us, but then we, we do get the constriction happens in the heart, and the wounds have happened in the heart, and and life experiences happen that uh, close us down. And this is all part of our journey and all part of what we work with, which diminish our capacity for trust and makes us fearful. And so we can also be honoring of those places, but also learn that we can work with those places within ourselves and within others and within the world not just also from a place of letting be and letting go, but more proactively cultivating this heart that can feel and respond with more love, more kindness, more friendliness, more care. Yet this is part of our uh, human capacity, our human birthright. In a world without that energy is a, ki- is a kind of a harsh world. If you've ever had the experience of being stuck in suffering in some way or another, you can't somehow get out of it and someone is kind to you, touches you with kindness. 
Uh, it's very, uh, it's really, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know then that it's, it's those moments can be better than having a million dollars in the bank. I mean, having a million dollars in the bank is probably pretty cool. But, you know, it doesn't necessarily translate. You know, often it translates into even increased thirsting for more. You know, it's not necessarily about how much on that level. It's, you know, that uh, these, this can't substitute for this uh, very, you know, being, tu- being able to touch each other from this place of, of compassion or kindness or friendliness or dear, holding dear ourselves in this world. As the Buddha taught to cultivate this to the extent that in a healthy relationship, of a parent to a child, one would extend that to to everything, everyone. It's a very, quite a high bar to consider in in terms of our relationships. That's certainly not a teaching that says, just get out of this mess, it's suffering, just go away, just check out, (laughs) and just leave everyone to it. That that isn't, that isn't the, yes, that, 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 Letting go is a dimension of the wisdom, but it's always balanced with this, you know, the letting go, the non-grasping, can help us arrive into wise holding, careful holding of relationship, of of the materiality of this world. So this cultivation, the Buddha said, uh, one aspect of this cultivation um, he called the cultivation of benevolence. There's a, a discussion that he has. There's a, at the time when he was alive, people were very, as they are now, very concerned with uh, how do you, how do you um, uh, come into communion with the divine? <laughs> you know, how do you come into communion with God or whatever? How do you meet the divine? And so this Brahmin came to the Buddha and asked this question, how do we come into communion with that which is divine, that which is elevated, that which is expansive, that which is beautiful, that which is timeless? And the, the Buddha gave this very practical advice. You know, we could sort of imagine and, and try and through our imagination, but he said actually in this, this way of practice, the practitioner suffuses the world with a mind of benevolence, peaceful and friendly, just as a powerful conch blower makes themselves heard with no great effort in all four directions. So too there is no limit to the unfolding of the heart-liberating benevolence. This is the way to commune with the divine. There's a very interesting... um, idea that actually by engaging this very human capacity for kindness and benevolence, this in and of itself is divine. This is what actually elevates the divinity within us, touches the human with the divine, or allows the divine to be expressed through our humanity. Uh, In fact, this is why this first great stream of cultivation, the loving kindness, the metta, is actually called a divine abiding a way that the mind can abide in that which has this touch, this taste of the divine, that which is untainted, that which is expansive, that which is unbounded, that which isn't constricted through fear. In fact, in this cultivation, 
of uh, loving kindness. It's said to be an energy and a cultivation that helps to subdue fear, uh, helps to subdue and overcome um, ill will and aversion and hatred and paranoia, which are energies that are very prevalent um, in our world today. And uh, when the Buddha first taught this, he taught it for practitioners, his disciples that were practicing um, in the forest, in the jungles and forests, and with wild, you know, wild animals. And in in the worldview of that time, there was the belief that there there were spirits that could disturb. and so these, these guys went off to practice, but they didn't last very long. They came running back to the Buddha and he said, well, how did you get on with your practice? Oh, not very well. We got disturbed. There were all these, uh, these spirits that disturbed us. And um, yeah, we got frightened <laughs> and abandoned the practice. And so the Buddha said, well, you know, when you, when you establish a practice, when you go to a place, and you establish, you, you know, you sit in a place, then you should begin by extending this, this benevolence to all that's around you and extending the intention as, uh, that you're not here to harm anyone or anything. You're not here to try and take life. You're not here to try and oppress. You're not here to, to try and be there in a way that diminishes the, the space and the rights of any, any other being. And in this way, you set the, the ground for your practice to diminish that which comes back at you as fear and paranoia. So for many of us, we don't uh, practice in jungles with wild animals anymore, but you know, we have to walk through cities and, and places or go to cocktail parties. <laughs> for me, like, I would rather go to a jungle with wild animals than go to a social event sometimes, because that can really activate one's, one's social paranoias and fears. And so, <laughs> so to be able to enter these fields in a, you know, from a place of, you know, especially when fear arises or, or those constrictions of the self, the lack of self-worth, the diminished sense of self, the feelings I can't do it, the feelings I'm not good enough, the paranoia, all of that gets activated is that we can actually meet that by, first of all, this practice we begin. It's very interesting and skillful how this practice is laid out, as it's always encouraged that we begin here again with this being. Usually we forget ourselves, you know, we want to try and help someone else, and in the process we diminish sometimes our own you know, of the relationship to this body, mind, and heart just over, just run over ourselves in our efforts to, from an idealized place to try and be nice to everyone else. And then we find ourselves getting quite stressed out. I mean, I, I, I can experience that myself. And so we begin here with what's arising for us. Can we hold more compassion, more kindness for, for this body? for these moods, for these, everything that we've been with through this retreat, all the stuff that we've talked about in our groups that we're all with, you know, it's all very familiar for all of us, all the different states we go through. Can we hold more kindness for all of that? 
because if if we can do that here then maybe we can extend that and this is this practice we begin to extend it out first of all to those that are perhaps the least threatening to us you know i used to start with our dog because you know i thought of my dog i wouldn't feel a lot of loving kindness it's the most least complicated relationship (laughs) and then going to loved ones you know, that that you, you you can naturally feel a sense of goodness, friendliness, love, and then extending that even further to those that maybe you don't really care about much, they don't mean much to you, and then even to those that have that you might classify as a as an adversary or an enemy or someone that has uh, you feel harmed by, and it it doesn't mean that you like that person or what's happening or that you approve some people get frightened oh if i give meta to you know this person or this kind of um yeah people that are trashing the planet or something it's just going to give them more energy and you know it just means that i approve or it it means that it's at the at the most subtle level it means that we're freeing the heart from aversion and ill will you know, that's not going to help. It do, and it doesn't mean that one can't respond with strength. In fact, many masters, you know, really, really liberated masters are very powerful and can be very uh, strong and oppositional to what needs to be challenged when it's not skillful or harming others. But it means it's about, it's a contemplation of where are we coming from and how can we infuse um, our actions from a place of non-hatred. So it's a very evolved practice to contemplate this way. The, the Buddha said, uh, another analogy he gave, he gave to his disciples, said, would it be easy to take a spear, fold it in half and bend it back? And um, so I don't know, that wouldn't be a very easy thing to do. In fact, it would be impossible with your bare hands. Take an iron spear and fold it up and fold it back. and. And he said, well, in the same way that one practicing this benevolence, it would be very hard for one to disturb that person and overpower them um, and harm them um, if they have become well seasoned in this practice of benevolence. So it has a a certain power to it. Uh, And in fact, the Buddha, you know, it's reported in this practice that there are blessings that begin to emerge, that the that one begins to, uh, in this heart that's cultivated strongly from this practice of loving-kindness, contemplating the self, contemplating others, holding self and other from a place of non-aversion, kindness, uh, that one uh, sleeps happily, wakes happily and has pleasant dreams. That's when I know I've still got a lot of practice to do. But there's less, there's the ability to, you know, if we don't sleep well or we get uh, disturbed, that we can actually encourage before we go to sleep to practice this cultivation of being at ease and at peace with and holding loving kindness to whatever, even if it's not peaceful to whatever's emerging. One becomes more dear to humans and animals and non-humans Immune, more immune from death by poisons and fire, more protected by the angelic kingdom, quick to concentrate. The mind's not, the mind's not pushing stuff away, 
struggling, it's quick to soften and be present, beautifies the countenance. It might it may not mean we get on the front page of the Vogue magazine, but if, <laughs> you know, I, when um, Kitty Sara and I uh, travelled in uh, Tibet and we did um, a pilgrimage there, we, we were very struck by the very very elderly people that had spent a whole lifetime in prayer and meditation, um, and with a lot of devotion. How they they might have been very wrinkled, but they were very beautiful countenance and energy that suffused their whole being. It's very attractive. Um, that one dies more peacefully, and then if you are, um, have a, a feeling or belief in rebirth, that one is reappears in a in a uh, um, in a heavenly or in a good destination. These are some of the classical benefits uh, that are ascribed to to this practice of cultivating metta loving kindness. So to begin, as I said, there's, there's, there's different approaches, there's more formulaic approaches, and I can just very, very briefly touch into that before we finish the session just now, uh, where one can actually hold phrases and contemplate them. But in, in its essence, the, the word in Sanskrit, Maitri, actually has this um, connotation within it of, of a softening of the heart. It's in its essence, it's like being willing to not just be defended. Um, and defenses have their place and they can be valuable, important, and there's psychologically there's, there's a whole thing about that. But it's a, it's a practice to also soften in the moment, especially if we feel safe. We can soften the heart. And then in that way, it's softening and opening and allowing for everything that is. So we were taught often that this practice starts with allowing everything to be as it is, the body as it is, the pains in the body, the crazy mind, the feelings, the room, other people, the noises, um, the, just uh, how things are in in our direct experience. So this is like this softening, this opening, and then this cultivation of may, in these phrases, may I be well, may others be well. May I be safe and happy. May others be safe and happy. May I be protected and free from harm. May others be protected and free from harm. May I be peaceful. May others be peaceful. So these kinds of phrases can actually pick up as a meditation. Even the very simple, may I be well, may others be well. And to to deepen with that can begin to become uh, support for this cultivation of loving kindness. So, I encourage today if this is helpful, this is our last day of our retreat, full day, um, to encourage. We, we have a sort of a bit of a snapshot of a doing these few days together of our patterns and what we're with and our body and our feelings and our staff. <laughs> Get a little bit of an immersion. <laughs> and, and also our life. You know, what we're going to be moving into tomorrow. And there can be this sense of, you know, like, just keep it there. <laughs> you know, out there for as long as possible, you know. 
and then we leave and then bam you know we're back into the someone said in one of our groups yesterday very good expression the vortex of it all you know you know then we just get spun out and so we really encourage um, that we can bring our life into our practice. Whatever we are going to, whatever's arising, and it will arise. They're trying to hold on to the last drop of just keep myself peaceful and <laughs> hold on to that breath, <laughs> dear life. You know, if disturbance comes and the, you know, the impingement from our life starts to rise, we find ourselves constricting and feeling tense and the shoulders beginning to rise and palpitations <laughs> increasing. Just to keep with our, what we've been the breathing, but just seeing if we can infuse the moments of our contact with what is, with this sense of, 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 of welcoming and kindness. May this be well. You can use this phrase, it helps to steady May I, may I be well, may I stay well, may this be well, this, this be well. May my family be well, my friends, my community. And may this world around me, may it be well. It's just coming into our sitting posture in a way that's comfortable. Again, just how is it now? Taking a breath into our experience, steadying, gathering. Just bringing this this attitude of, of benevolence, care, loving kindness to our experience. May all that I'm with all that I am with be well. We can breathe that in, that thought, may all that I am with be well, or may I be well. We can breathe that thought into our experience. May there be well being. Just finding a way to to use that thought in a way that works for you. Suffusing that through the body, through all the feeling tones, through the heart. Softening, kind, kindness, mercy, care. And then may all that is around me be well. In front, to the sides, behind, above and below, into this great earth. So just very simply working with these, this thought towards self and towards other. Suffusing our experience here and now. It's an intention of non-harming, non-contention welcoming, allowing, kindness, love, benevolence.
May I be well and may others be well. If we find we contemplate an area in our life that's difficult or a difficult relationship, just the energy that's in that dynamic, just extending well-being to the energy. If you find contemplating the people hard or the circumstance, just the energy that's been catalyzed May this be well, may it be calmed, may it be soothed, may it be dissolved in the power of love, of kindness, of compassion. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.